Welcome to Crossing the Enterprise Chasm, a podcast about software startups and their journey moving up market to serving enterprise customers. I'm your host, Michael Greenwich. I'm the founder of WorkOS, which is a platform that helps developers quickly ship common enterprise features like single sign-off. On this podcast, you'll hear directly from founders, product leaders, and early stage operators who have navigated building great products for enterprise customers. In every episode, you'll find strategies, tactics, and real world advice for ways to make your app enterprise ready and take your business to the next level. Today, I'm joined by Guillermo Rao, the founder and CEO of Vercel. For those of you unfamiliar, Vercel is a developer platform that makes it incredibly easy to deploy modern front end applications. They're also the creators of Next.js, which is a very popular JavaScript framework for building applications. Recently, Vercel announced their Series C financing, raising over $100 million at north of a billion dollar valuation. The company has attracted developers from Facebook, McDonald's, Uber, and many, many other organizations, both large and small. Guillermo, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So let's just dive in. So first of all, give us a quick update on Vercel. Where's the business at today? Where's the team at? What's your current focus? So Vercel is a front-end platform that encompasses the three phases of publishing a website or a web application online. Developing, which for us, it starts with our open source framework, Next.js. Previewing, collaborating with your team, meaning every time you make a change or you push code, having a URL where you can test out your front-end. And then shipping to a really high-performance edge network that automates all the cloud infrastructure for delivering at scale delivering for lots of traffic or delivering highly dynamic and user-personalized serverless workloads. So any website, any front project you have, you just import it to Vercel and we handle the rest. And I noticed a few months ago, you had a Next.js conf where you talked about Next Live, the live version of Next.js. Maybe you could talk about that briefly and kind of your current focus as you've been expanding and building this platform. Yeah, in many ways, a lot of what we do today is the same thing we set out to do years ago, which is we want to give developers and their teams real-time feedback over the evolution of their projects. So one of the things we did when we launched Next.js is that you would see your changes in the browser in real-time on localhost without having to press the refresh button. Today, I think in the front-end world, this becomes sort of the default. But for a lot of people, a lot of developers, that was kind of like dark magic. Wow, like... I can change a style, I can change a React component, I can add a function, remove it, and then my browser just reflects that change in real time. And we've been working a lot and like reducing the latency of that, like from keystroke to screen in like 10 milliseconds. And what we've realized in the process is that more and more and more is happening directly inside the browser runtime. It's not happening in Node.js, it's not happening in localhost, it's happening directly inside the browser. And browsers have become a lot more powerful. So we saw this incredible opportunity to start moving more and more of the developer process directly inside the web browser, using technologies like Service Worker and WebAssembly, such that instead of standing up a developer environment, which can take sometimes your entire day or weeks just downloading the right software and the right dependencies, you can now hyperlink anybody to editing an XJS project collaboratively with their team in single-digit seconds. So it's very much like turning Next.js into a Figma-esque experience. So does that mean that developers are just going to develop inside the web browser? Maybe not, but we all have to make a quick change. We all have to jump in and change copy or peer program in terms of 
finding a problem with a teammate and debugging it. And this is a niche that I think Nix.js Live will create a lot of value for. So this is pretty groundbreaking. And I can totally imagine, you know, startups using this, small companies, developers just, you know, signing up and starting to use this. But you also have some huge customers already using both Next.js and also Vercel for hosting huge properties of theirs, you know, like the IBM or Staples or McDonald's of the world, and, you know, have grown to this unicorn status in the last few years. What were the timing and kind of events that led that to occur? I mean, I think that's pretty unusual. How did Vercel get these users? Where did that growth come from? Yeah, I definitely think it's unusual because it's really hard and there's all these catch-22 problems all over the place, right? Because you start, in our case, focused on developers and obviously developers have a hugely high bar for quality and like the tools that they want to implement. But then you have to also jump the hurdle of like, it has to be production ready. It can't just be something that's like really cool in your local tests. And then I think the really difficult part is that now because Next.js is an open source framework, there has to be a comprehensive developer platform and a collaboration workflow around it that companies need to pay for. So how do you meet those requirements? How do you meet that bar of, okay, you built the framework, now you have to build a platform that, like you mentioned, companies like Washington Post are relying on day in and day out to build their software. And that's quite a big leap to go from from a small startup to still a small startup, but having that kind of client. When did you start splitting your focus there? I mean, thinking about starting off focused entirely on the developer experience to get those initial users. I'm curious if you can think back on maybe when this other side of the house started building and you started saying, hey, when you started thinking about the focus for the Washington Post side. Yeah, the scaling into bigger companies for sure. And this is something I haven't really talked about much, but it's a great question. So one example is, I used to be really obsessed with the idea that we could have like thousands of signups, right? We're hugely popular, but I started caring a lot about what people were using the technology for. And I wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to be a technology that was just uh, for a quick test or a side project. I knew that Next.js was designed by grabbing inspiration from the largest sites on the internet. Like, we started out with server rendering, which we knew was what Google.com was doing for search and what Facebook.com was doing for newsfeed. So I didn't want to settle for like, oh, cool, like a small team is going to use it for some test. I wanted the technology to live up to its eventual goal, which is to serve enterprises. So we started saying, okay, like that's really cool. Like there's a lot of self-serve interest. We could continue down this path forever. It's growing, it's working. But then I started sort of focusing in more and like, okay, let's just start thinking about this early experiments that are happening at these companies. How can we grow them into much more than just a handful of developers being excited? And then the thinking started shifting around, like, not just like, okay, let's make things extremely awesome and fast for developers, but how can we arm developers with the features, substantiations, materials, documentation? integrations and workflows that the rest of the company needs to turn that from a small idea or experiment into something that becomes kind of like the lifeline of the company. Like if Vercel gets shut down, the Washington Post shuts down or Airbnb shuts down. It sounds like enterprise or really just this team focus for bigger organizations cross-cut through everything in terms of the product, not just 
bigger dollar amount, but actually fundamentally change the product itself, how you're thinking about it. Yeah, I mentioned this in the Series C announcement. I think what a lot of founders need to be cognizant of when they're creating tools is my tool has a early adopter who's a developer, but that developer has stakeholders and end users beyond that. So if you just think one layer in, you're going to get stuck most likely. You have to think one layer in and then two layers deeper, even kind of imagining those conversations and requirements and frankly, also just asking, right? Like, hey, what are the requirements that you have and your company has for using more of ourselves? We started kind of like pulling down that thread and learning a lot more about what else do we need to add to our platform to meet those requirements. How did this turn to the commercial side? Like as you started thinking about actually sales and revenue, because I think what you're mostly describing right now is kind of product changes, the use that gets you in and how it spreads within a company. But obviously, you need to make money on the other side, you know, and grow revenue. How did you approach that? Did you do it at the same time? Did you do it later? Yeah, there were kind of two sides of the same coin for us, because a lot of these requirements were being driven by starting to create our customer success function, our sales function. We hired our first CRO, and we started getting into those conversations and finding the places in which we're lacking, not just documentation, but like the ways that we service our customers and the ways that we help them succeed. So they kind of happen simultaneously. And I think they really go together. Like you have to take that very seriously if we want to succeed in that space. How much of enterprise is a focus for you today in terms of how you think about the customers you're serving or you know, revenue? Is it entirely the focus? Is it you know 20% of the focus or 20% of the revenue? How do you stack today? I like thinking about Again, both being priorities for us. Obviously, it's not a great answer because like, when everything is a priority, nothing is a priority. But I do think that we have to continue to focus on making the developer succeed. There are a strong advocate in those enterprise conversations, right? A lot of high-level enterprise executives are turning to their developers who are like, hey, what's going to make you happy? What do you think we need to buy to succeed? On the other hand... We have to recognize that with how viral Next.js is, it's being adopted by lots and lots of enterprises that need help. And sometimes they're not just you know browsing for uh, software that they can self-serve and install. They're expecting a certain infrastructure to be there to do business with us. So we're focusing on developing that side of the business as well. The way that I think about it is I want to capture as much opportunity as possible in a mission-driven way. Our goal is to make the web faster, both for developers and end users. And without that enterprise arm, I think we would be leaving a lot of business on the table. And I think the biggest impact also for something like Vercel and Next.js, right? Yeah. The biggest companies kind of, you can have the biggest impact there as well. Yeah. And the product, right? Like in order for it to be rolled out to as many seats as possible within the company, we have to have that enterprise approach. Otherwise, you might get stuck at just one team within a company. So earlier this year, WorkOS started helping Vercel power single sign-on inside of Vercel, which we're obviously delighted to be working together. Vercel had quite a bit of momentum and success before this. I mean, a lot of these customers already on board far before actually adding single sign-on, which for a lot of folks is kind of the first step for enterprise. How did you approach signing those enterprise deals, getting those folks on board when maybe you didn't check all the boxes for what they were looking for? I like to think that, you know, the demand for the product was so strong that we worked, you know, as much as we could with their security teams, with our champions within those companies to sort of 
align our roadmaps and we were very clear, like, look, you really need our product. We've made it really secure. We have a lot of the foundations for you to rely on it in production, but we do recognize that, for example, the SSO feature is missing. A lot of that was like good faith in the side of the customers. Like, hey, like, look, I'm partnered with WorkOS. This is going to happen. You need our product today. Let's work on this together. And ultimately, a lot of conversations about future roadmap end up being like that, which is something I didn't know in the beginning. I always thought, you know, Vercel is here to like just offer products from our R&D labs and just like lead the way. But with a lot of these companies, it's just a close collaboration. And it was overdue, clearly. Like I think we could have done even more business if we had partnered with WorkOS earlier, but it's been incredibly well received. We actually went and asked to these folks, what do you think about it? Like, how do you compare it to the onboarding process of all the other SSO integrations that you've done with other tools? And people love it. So I think it lived up to that Vercel quality of, even though it's not quote unquote developer experience, it is about that obsession over customers are gonna love our tool. And this is the nice thing about working on these enterprise features is that there's so much room for delight here as well. It's not just all like real-time React components. It's also delighting all the other stakeholders. So I've been enjoying that a lot. And we are doubling down on a lot of those features and capabilities. I think this is something that we share as like a value is like thinking about that design and craft and quality, which is typically not present in most enterprise software. 100%. I want to ask about your sales team also. How is your sales team structured? You know, early on, how did you go about these initial sales? What type of sales folks did you look to hire? You know, thinking about it from the engineer perspective, a lot of engineers don't like sales. They don't like interacting with sales. They don't like talking to sales. How did you go about building sales at Vercel such that it'd be kind of sharing the same cultural values and yet be able to still grow the business? It started with customer success. So it started with our support team recognizing that there were basically different categories of clients with different levels of, let's just say, demand slash anxiety slash tolerance or failure, right? So like we'd have customers that need to know about every single possible future roadmap direction. They're constantly asking very important detail-oriented questions. When they get stuck, they want to have priority. They want to bump the queue. So because we are working with the technology is pretty sophisticated, a lot of that starts with the support team and guiding companies into successfully rolling out our technology. The next step from that, which was like hiring our first AEs, a lot of that had to deal with like helping companies even understand the landscape, understand how the different offerings compare, why our product is more beneficial as a long-term partner. So it's starting to sell more of the vision of where we're going to be in the future. And that entails and relates to what I was saying earlier that we actually succeeded in having amazing early customers that believed in our future ability to add all these features that they were missing. So that went really well because we sort of rolled it out slowly such that we could understand, okay, what works and what doesn't work for us. And frankly, that's when we started also like just seeing a lot of our biggest successes land. Because like you said, if we wanted to see Next and Vercel reach its ultimate potential, that sales motion was extremely important. Some companies will just not even entertain the technology if they cannot talk to sales. So it's the reverse of what you were mentioning, which is like developers don't want to talk to sales, but the company as a whole wants to talk to sales. They want to understand who they're partnering with. 
in many cases, they want to understand pricing in a more predictable way than a lot of these serverless usage-based pricing models, right? And obviously, they want to have a phone call with somebody to like know who's going to be on the other end when I'm having issues and when I need to make my next big step. It seems like some of the stuff you're saying is the things that bring a developer in, why they get excited, whether it's usage-based pricing or the specific technology piece, it's not actually what the end buyer might want. It's almost the opposite in many ways. <laughs> How do you reconcile those two? I mean, as, as a team, that must be really challenging to make steps forward into the product, to just get alignment around what you're focused on, why, how you talk about it? Yeah. One way that we found that it matches up really well is that we can have one motion for the more scalable, bigger customer. And I think this is why security and SSO and features like that have been always such a clean differentiator of what bucket of customer do you fall into. I always reflect on our past as a startup. Now, one of our biggest priorities for the security team at Vercel is corporate and enterprise security. When we were buying our first developer products, like when we used Datadog in the beginning and whatnot, we weren't thinking about corporate security. Now, we're bigger, 100 people plus. Corporate security is one of our top three priorities for our security team. Also, it correlates nicely with like, okay, when we go and select a vendor, we're going to do very ambitious things with them, especially if we engage into this process of baking it off with like comparing with their competitors. And then on the other side, I can imagine, you know, the investment on their side, like, oh, let's put our best foot forward. Let's work with Vercel and let's establish a multi-year partnership. So in some ways, things become slower compared to like the developer just grabbing onto whatever product they happen to like, like that day. But also the impact just goes up dramatically, right? Like when we do partnerships with our providers, we tell them like, look, we're doing like tens of billions of requests a week. So the impact on their side is so much greater. And we're seeing this all the time, like Vercel will host the Grammys in 2022, which is, you know, for us, like we started having our first paid customers just a couple of years ago to host a world recognized event. And that happened again through the success of our enterprise motion, because for them, they're going into in some ways unknown territory. They used to do all of their initiatives through agencies. Now they're taking the development side of their company a lot more seriously. They need to choose the right partner and they're putting a lot at stake. So security to me has always been a very important differentiator. The guarantees around infrastructure as well. When you're a developer, you're more going by the things that solve most of the immediacy of the situation. When you're looking at it from a enterprise angle, you're thinking about what are the guarantees that I get years down the line. So that's another way that we differentiate. But obviously, there are a lot more. And it's always a challenge, of course. It seems like with a lot of developer platforms that start off being super developer focused, developer experience, over time, they drift further and further away from that. Sometimes even because of their success, you know, you look at things I don't know. I love Heroku, early days Heroku. And I went to their website the other day and I was like, this has fallen so far from where they started. Do you feel that tension? Like you feel like you're getting pulled away from it or there's a natural evolution? I know developer experience is super important to Vercel. So I'm curious if you can talk about that tension, maybe how to keep it a focus or what that feeling is. Yeah, I think it exists in many ways. You know, a more secure system, for example, from a product perspective, can be a system that introduces more friction. At the same time, I think you can solve that because 
a lot of these customers are buying developer experience as well. They want to give their teams a solution they enjoy using day in and day out. So I think as developer productivity becomes more of a priority for enterprises, the challenge will become smaller and smaller. Companies like Stripe, you know, have made developer productivity sort of the focus of a lot of their go-to-market, like almost educating the enterprise world about the value here. So I think that education process can help. But yeah, there is a tension and we see it all the time in products that we use, but I'm confident that we can still retain an excellent DX over time while we have a successful enterprise business. So a couple more questions before we wrap up. Wanted to ask what's next for Vercel in terms of enterprise. What are you working on right now, you know, without giving away your whole future roadmap? What's kind of the next step? Vercel has already taken down a bunch of these logos and a bunch of these customers. What are you working on now for those enterprise users? So number one for me is security, because I think Vercel is positioned in a very interesting place. It's the first thing you touch. We're now working with healthcare providers. We're working with fintech companies. We're working with multimedia companies, lots of e-commerce stores. So we're at that entry point where the customer comes in. And there are a lot of things that enterprises need to succeed at scale when we are in that position that we're working on. On the corporate and identity access management side, we're continuing to invest there, role-based access control, more granular controls. I think something that gets underestimated a lot is just like the ability to build a security model about how the system works from the outside perspective. Like if I'm a security team that is adopting Vercel, how can I make sense of the different data flows? How can I make sense of activity? How can I audit the entire system? How can I develop an awareness of what endpoints exist out there and what kind of data is flowing through the system? So I think that's a great opportunity for us to lead with great solutions rather than try to be reactive to security questionnaires. And I think we're in the right position to execute on that. I think a lot about security on the supply chain attack side of things where, you know, companies are always anxious about like what's getting deployed. Role-based access control plays a role there as well because folks want to understand what's eventually shipping to their dot coms and have the ability to have, you know, either more control. And this is where you mentioned the X can be heard. Some companies might be more protective of what makes it online. Whereas, you know, the platform was conceived on the idea that everybody can instantly make changes, right? But I think, again, like we can find good ways of reconciling these two worlds. And I think most of startups and most internet companies today have a long way to go on this security space. So That'll be a huge priority for the foreseeable future. And what I mentioned about guarantees as well, especially around isolation. The ideal state of Vercel is where you can truly call it your own developer platform. If I hire Vercel, they're going to give me the WorkOS developer platform where I can control absolutely everything in complete isolation from everybody else. And I think we're slowly but surely making our way there We're obviously massively multi-tenant from an ingress point of view, but there are a lot of really awesome ways in which we can isolate workloads and provide more ownership to the enterprise that's hired in Vercel. That's super exciting. I think we may become customers of that too. Last question for you. So obviously Vercel is still growing. It's still early days in terms of potential is here for you to accomplish, but made a lot of progress crossing the enterprise chasm and going up market. 
what do you wish you would have known early on? Like what advice would you give your past self and maybe what surprised you over the last several years as you've been going out market? As an engineer, I would say just to be aware of the taxonomy and the schemas. I read this really funny tweet that said the other day, if you're selling guitars, don't call your table guitars because in the future, you're also going to sell drums. So call it items, but don't call it items because you're going to sell services. So just call the table sellable things, but then you might change your mind. So just call it items and you have one table left. But I do think that thinking early on and even like listening to podcasts like this, where like you will understand your future requirements. It doesn't mean that you have to obsess about them, but you can lay out some basic infrastructure from the very beginning. I was actually talking to a security expert today. I was talking about this in the context of centralized IDP. Because that company took security seriously early on, you're in a really nice position now. They can grow from 100 to 200 to 500 people and not have to like deal with like five different IDP systems. So I think startups can do a lot there. And I think there's also companies like WorkOS that can give you a lot of these goods out of the box and try to not go too far down the path of reinventing it yourself. That would be my number one advice. The other one is, I think, having that awareness of the stakeholders that are out there. Just even knowing the titles, interviewing them, even if they're not yet even buying your product. Just talk to the person that works on procurement, on security questionnaires, on the CISO, every stakeholder that you're not that used to interacting with, perhaps. Obviously, you could be building products for those people too. But just having that awareness of what questions and concerns they have will give you the right frame to build scalable products in the future. That sounds like some really sage, hard-earned advice from the last few years. So thanks for sharing that. I think with that, we can wrap up. Gisharma, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Really appreciate your time and excited to see how Vercel continues to grow over the next few years. Thank you, Michael. You just listened to Crossing the Enterprise Chasm, a podcast about software startups and their journey moving up market to serving enterprise customers. Want to learn more about becoming enterprise ready? The WorkOS blog is full of tons of articles and guides outlining best practices for adding features like single sign-on, skim provisioning, and more to your app. Also, make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you're first to hear about new episodes with more founders and product leads of fast-growing startups. I'm Michael Greenwich, founder of WorkOS. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time.